knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You are listening to the 207th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, and we're going to be talking about carrying everything today. Carrying everything. All that stuff. Not minimalism. Maximalism. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I think you probably know what I mean when I say it. So I'll say it at least one more time over the course of this episode. So first of all, what's minimalism? Because this is what we're contrasting this maximalist approach with. So what's minimalism? Minimalism is carrying the bare essentials. And there's a lot of value in this. I would even say there's a virtue in this. This is a, a multi-tiered way of looking at it. First, the, the virtuous side of it, it eliminates all the distractions. So you're not thinking about carrying all the things, doing all of the stuff, leaning towards another pocket where you might be able to find the solution for enjoying the time outdoors. And instead, you're simply utilizing what you have on you and the skills that you have and your powers of observation to enjoy your time on the water. Now, that's great. Secondly, another reason why why people do it is because you can move a lot easier if you're not weighed down physically by a bunch of stuff. Now, I totally buy into this, and more often than not, this is the way I proceed when I am doing what I enjoy the most, which is blue lining for brook trout. I go up into the mountains with a small pack with the bare essentials, forceps, some tippet material, uh, only a few dozen flies, maybe four or five patterns with a handful of sizes and and, uh, individual flies themselves, floatant, and that's kind of it and water, lots of water. And I have a blast and I have everything that I need and I can move quickly. I actually usually do trail running when I do this. And so I couldn't take take a normal amount of stuff and I certainly couldn't take a maximal amount of stuff. All right. So that's, that's great. And I have no problem with it. And more often than not, that's what I do. So why would you want to do the opposite? Why would you want to physically burden yourself by having a heavy load? And why would you want to burden yourself by just carrying more options? You know, if you can catch fish with 10 different flies, why carry 100 flies or 200 flies? 
And I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. This is completely a preference. And so what I'm talking about today as I'm talking about carrying more things is why you might want to carry more things. And if it is a comfort for you, and I think I've said this before, if it is a security blanket to have more flies uh, on your on your pack, uh, then do it. If you would feel unprepared because you didn't have your box of midges, regardless of the time of year, if you would feel unprepared because you didn't have at least one or two terrestrial patterns, then bring them. Nothing wrong with it. There's no sin. There's no fly fishing pope that is going to condemn you for bringing a fly that's totally weird. Uh, I remember for years and years, I had this giant dragonfly nymph. I mean, the thing, I think it's still probably one of my fly boxes. It's ugly as sin. It's almost as big as my pinky. And it's, it's just huge and it requires a lot of weight to sink it. And every time I took the thing on my box, I thought, yeah, but what if I need it? And this thing has bounced around from box to box and the dry flies and the nymphs and the random bass bugs. It's been all over the place. And I don't think I've let the thing go. And it's not so much like it's a confidence fly because I don't think I've ever fished it. But for whatever reason, I've just not wanted to not bring it or at least not have it in the fly box. And now that might be me being neurotic, but that's the way that I approach at least this one particular fly. I'm sure there's a lot more that are like that. Uh, but if you want to carry stuff, then carry stuff. So you don't need this. You don't need my my reasons. You don't need my excuses. You don't need, need my ideas. But there might be times and places where having more stuff is helpful for you. So here is one example. If you are going to a new river for the first time, really any new larger body of water, because with larger bodies of water, you are going to potentially encounter a wider variety of situations that you are going to have to adapt your presentation to. So you might have deep water and fast water. You might have to make long casts. You might have to make short casts. You're going to have uh, water that is up against the bank, and you're going to have water that hits all those variables that I touched on earlier, but it's going to be out in the middle. And so you're going to be forced into adapting your presentation to meet every one of those situations. And in every one of those situations, based upon how you read the water and the time of year, you may encounter needing to throw a dry fly, needing to throw a nymph, needing to throw a streamer. Now, is it completely possible that you can do everything that I said with one fly box and one fly rod? Absolutely. But if you're going to be going to a new body of water that you're trying to diagnose for the very first time, and if you're going to be going in a way that requires a lot of movement, so you getting far away from your car, whether it be hundreds of yards or miles, why not carry a little bit more so that you have more tools at your disposal as you are diagnosing and prospecting for fish and trying to figure out how you should best approach? So most basic uh, concept here, fly patterns. So on my streams that I'm familiar with, I know what I need to carry, and then I know what I want to carry. And it's very easy to make that distinction. And so I'm able to whittle things down to you know two or three fly boxes, two or three small fly boxes uh, at most. But if I go to a new stream, especially a new large river, I do not know what I'm going to encounter. And I certainly don't know what those fish are going to be keying in on once I encounter them. So I am much more apt to carry more flies, carry a large box of dries, a couple boxes of nymphs, and then a couple of boxes of streamers. 
And you know, if you get into streamers that are pushing that size four and size two, and even larger than that, you're looking at some pretty big boxes of flies. And at this point, things are not going to conveniently fit in a small sling pack or a vest anymore. And so you even just by carrying a modest amount of flies for facing a variety of situations and circumstances, you're going to need more space. But add to that the other things that you might encounter and might need. So again, some people might think this is superfluous and this is silly, but you shouldn't feel bad about carrying two fly rods if you want to. Now, if you've watched Saturday morning fishing, which I haven't done that in a while, at least not on Saturday mornings, if you've watched YouTube and like bass fishing tournaments, or you've been at, you have a bass boat, it is totally within the normal realm of possibility that you have four or six rods that are rigged up and ready to go. You have different size baits, different styles of baits that fish different parts of the water column. Top water, something that can dive down deep, something that can fish just subsurface. And the reason that you have them all rigged up is because you want to easily access them and because you have the space where you can do that. Now, you can create that situation on your person. With a backpack, you can have that second fly rod in a rod tube that's strapped to the side of your back. You can also have that extra spool or that entire extra reel, which is infinitely more convenient than having a second line that you have to change out if you found a situation where you would need a, a sinking line or a different weight line. But this is something that I think more people should employ, especially if they're not close to their car. Now, if I'm fishing on a stream where I'm only waiting out and fishing a pool, a large pool in front of my car, I'm not going to carry a second flyer on my person, but I'm going to have one in the back of the, the vehicle. And so if you are moving hundreds of yards or even miles away from your car, then why not find a rig or a setup where you can have that second rod easily convenient? I actually have a great product for carrying a second rod on your person, no matter where you go, as long as you're on water that's not, uh, you know, tightly uh, brushy, uh, and and I'll use that as my recommendation at the end of the podcast. I've talked about it before, but it's worth mentioning again, particularly in light of this episode. But beyond flies, beyond having that second rod and that second reel with that second line, uh, then then you can think about all the other things that you might want to carry. Now, actually, let me let me step back before I touch on some of the other things. Now, why, why carry two rods? Well, when I'm out fishing, uh, let's just say, again, trout on a large river, and we'll stick with this one example. Um, and a lot of the same stuff can be applied to fishing the coast, for example. So on the, uh, on the trout water, I like to have a rod that is a good multi-purpose rod where I can throw a dry fly and then I can throw a traditional nymph rig. And then I like to have a second rod that is rigged up for streamers. So this is usually a heavier rod, and it usually has a sinking fly line. Now, if I've been to a river before, or I don't plan on fishing streamers, then my all-around like multi-purpose rod is going to be for dries. And for streamers, I just would have to add a very weighted fly or maybe a poly leader so I can get my fly down into some of that deeper and faster water. And my second rod in that situation is going to be a nymphing rod. So a 12 or 13 foot three weight with a special nymphing rig set up for if I know I'm going to be doing a lot of, of nymph fishing. I've come to use those and really rely on them in faster water and choppier water uh, where I know that fish are going to be. So that's two examples of how I'm going to carry two rods, and I'd like to switch back and forth between them uh, without really having to spend a lot of time re-rigging my leader. And really, this you know, you're, you're making a bargain or a trade-off. Carrying two rods might seem inconvenient. In my mind, 
for for my money and my time re-rigging and retying leaders um knowing how essential that is for making proper presentations knowing how essential it is to have good uh transitions from different diameters and to have them uh crafted in such a way that they're going to roll over the right fly in the right way and provide a good drift which again everything i just said there's so much more that can be said about it but that's in other other episodes of the, of the podcast um all i have to say the time it would take me to tie a new leader i would rather just carry a second fly rod and that's that might not be your priority set, but for me, that is my priority. Uh, going back to the coast issue, uh, that's where I would have one rod rigged up with a uh, uh, popper uh, and one rod rigged up with a streamer. And I have a floating line on the popper rod and a sinking line on the streamer rod. And to switch back and forth as opposed to switch uh, reels out, um, especially when you're you know casting uh, double hauled 75 80 foot casts and having to reel everything in and then switch things out it's just again easier to carry two rods and with the system and the technique and the gear i use which again i'll talk about here in a minute it's totally incon- it's totally convenient there, there's never an inconvenience i should say by doing it that way so that's the first reason why um is just to have the stuff that you need but secondly you might want to diversify your experience so you might not need to carry a bunch of fly boxes but because you're fishing a shoulder season or a time of the year or a particular place where the weather is very consistent you're going to want to have a second layer for warmth and then another shell for rain you are set on fishing today And so whether it is windy and rainy or sunny and nice, you want to be able to be out there. But that means that you're going to need to carry those things. And again, you talk about trade-offs. I'd rather have a big backpack where I have a rain shell and a second layer stashed away comfortably than have those things on my body getting warm and hot while I'm walking, you know, along the riverbank or I'm fishing. It's a trade-off. You might prefer to be uncomfortable in one way or another, whether you're cold and wet or you just are layered up no matter what the weather is like, I would prefer to have that stuff on my back, on my shoulder. Uh, I really don't care if someone drives by, sees me fishing in a really big backpack um, because one, I might just throw in the bank and two, I just don't care. So that's something to think about. So what gear to use? Larger sling packs. I have a really large sling pack that can accommodate many, many fly boxes. Like every trout fly box I own can probably fit into this one sling pack, as well as a spot for me to strap my rod on the bottom of it and uh, throw an extra reel in there. Um, It'd be bulging at this point, uh, but it can really accommodate all of those things, as well as all the other essentials that I want to carry with me, especially a lot of water. Uh, So you can have something like that or a backpack. And, you know, if if there's space in it, then you can put something like a little pot and a little stove. And ramen is a lot better than a cliff bar. Uh, Hot coffee on a cold afternoon of steelheading is a lot better than just, you know, another slurp of water. Um, All of those things are things that you can do to fill up that space with stuff that you can use. But if you don't fill it up and you don't have anything that you need to use, you can always strap those things on tighter and, you know, use those compression straps that are either built into your backpack or add them onto it so that it's not a bunch of loose space and things are jangling around. So you can use your backpack that you had back when you were in high school or college. That'll work just fine. The Jansport, the L.L. Bean, it'll, it'll work great. But of course, there's lots of high quality outdoor backpack and even fly fishing specific backpacks that will do the job and do the job very well. Ones that have spaces particularly designed for putting that rod, for putting other gear, where you can even access a lot of that core gear that is not going to necessarily be on the outside of your pack, uh, but is, is something that you want to get very, very quickly.
So a lot of time just spent talking about why to carry more stuff on you. Here's a second thing, and this is something that I think is worth considering if you are fishing in really large still water, but also could be uh, true if you are fishing on uh, a larger river or even a smaller stream, depending on, on your setup. And that is fishing out of a kayak. A lot of times when we think about fishing out of a kayak or a canoe, we're thinking about utilizing that small craft to get to parts of that pond or that uh, river that would be otherwise inaccessible by wading. And that's true. It's great to get out into the middle of a big pond uh, where it's 20 feet deep or deeper uh, is something that is great to have a canoe or kayak for, whether you're fishing 20 feet down or you're fishing on the surface. So that that's fantastic. But consider this. Uh, a lot of times we know that fishing the shoreline is really where the money is. It, it's always that that thing where you see guys in the big bass boats who are just cruising the shorelines of these big lakes uh, and fishing the same very same docks that as kids we stood on thinking, man, I'd love to have a big bass boat so I could go fish everywhere. Now, given, you know, they can fish every dock and you can only fish one dock when you're on foot. But w what that, that means is that those shores line spots are oftentimes the spots that we're fishing. That's where fish are cruising. That's where a lot of the uh, forage sources for these fish, these fish are, whether it be insects or bait fish or, or, you know, anything else. And so those are the spots that you want to fish. It is so much easier to maneuver in the water on a kayak than it is to walk the banks of most streams. Now, for me here in New England, that's absolutely the case because everything is so stinking marshy and swampy. Uh, other places that I've fished, it's it's either the same way or you run into issues of access, uh, whether it be public and private land where it kind of goes back and forth one to the other, or it's just it's just difficult terrain to navigate. So being able to hop into a kayak gets you from one spot to the next, even if it means you're just hopping out and fishing the shore in one spot and then, you know, another 20 yards and another spot. But what this allows you to do is throw all of your gear in the hole or on the back of your boat. And this frees you up in, in an amazing way. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, but for me, uh, for so many years, just fishing uh, with, with in my waders, with my vest on or with my sling pack on or with my backpack on, and then you get into a guide's boat and you are fishing with just your rod and your reel. It's very freeing. I mean, and you know that just over there, you know, a couple feet away, you can get whatever you want to get. You've got your forceps hanging off your belt and you got your nippers hanging around your neck and you're able to get that stuff, you know, ASAP if you want it. But to be able to have everything else off of your person is great. Um, it, it allows you to do more. I think you you forget kind of how encumbered you are until you become unencumbered. And this is the experience that you can have if you fish out of, not necessarily in, but out of a canoe or a kayak. Um, I have, have come to appreciate this so much more as I have taken up duck hunting. And there's a lot of gear that's involved. Uh, you know, just you have your, your backpack and inside your backpack is you have your other layers and you have all of your shot shells. You have your headlamp and you have uh, just some other essentials. You have your weapon over your shoulder and you have between a half dozen and a dozen decoys uh, and everything that is required to get them where they need to be and all of your calls. And that's a lot to carry. It is a whole lot to carry. And there's some places where it wouldn't be a problem to carry it to the spot where I want to set up. But if I can throw that into the back of a canoe or a kayak and I can paddle out in a leisurely way 
as opposed to dragging all those things, jangling and making noise and potentially dropping stuff and just getting tired, you know, at uh, five in the morning, then I would take that any day of the week. So utilizing the kayak to kind of hold on to your stuff. And then it's not that you can't access these places, whether it be the hunting or the fishing on foot. It just, it makes it easier to do so when you are in the water, you're moving quieter and you're moving more in a more convenient way. And you're not getting hung up on burrs and falling in muskrat holes and all of that stuff. Uh, so again, this all depends on if you have these resources and you have opportunities to uh, access them where you fish. Uh, of course, if you are doing this in a larger, quicker uh, water, like rivers or even a, a larger stream, then you run into the issue of where you put in versus where you take out and where your vehicle is. But uh, those are things that can be overcome. And there are so many places, even on small streams, that are inaccessible by wading. I think about fishing places in Pennsylvania where there was these steep cliffs on either sides um, of, of these, you know, shale cliffs and things like that. And you looked at these spots and you're thinking, I'd have to take make a really crazy cast to get to a good presentation. But if you could just float right over to it and you could, you know, land your, your watercraft uh, adjacent to the bank and you can make all sorts of casts and fish in all sorts of ways. And so there are opportunities, even on small streams, you do have to overcome the logistical issues of where you put in, where you take out, but it is definitely worth something worth considering. And you think, man, people think I'm crazy fishing a kayak in, in these spots. Well, they might, but if you're catching fish and you're being conscientious of the resource and the other po folks that are using it, who cares what you look like? Carry a big backpack, fish out of a kayak, have the things that you need. And like I said before, if those are things that help you diagnose or adequately access the presentations that you eventually need to use to catch fish, great. If it's because you want to carry your tripod to take pictures, if it's because you want to carry a stove to cook lunch, if you want to carry a couple extra layers and maybe even a sleeping bag so you can turn that couple hour trip into an overnight trip, you know, whatever it is, do it, take advantage of it. Just plan ahead, try a couple things out, make sure things are comfortable. Make sure that you can load your pack and not that it, it fits in there, but it fits in there and it goes on your back and you're able to move for an extended period of time without being uncomfortable on your shoulders, on your back, on your hips, um, and that you're able to access stuff, that it makes sense, that it, that it actually has some ergonomic value in it. Um, mess around with your kayak. See how things fit into that. Make sure things are stable. Make sure things aren't going to be making lots of noise when they're thrown in there and figure out something that works. Utilize cheap stuff from the dollar store and other things that you have in your house to make things fit right and that there's a place for everything, that everything is in its place. So a lot of information, a couple things to think about, but uh, definitely carry more stuff. If you have questions about carrying more stuff or less stuff or comments about carrying more stuff or less stuff or accusations, we'll even go with that one about what I've said about carrying more stuff or less stuff. Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. Always happy to hear your feedback. This week on castingacross.com, two big public land articles. And the first one did great. A lot of people read it, which is awesome because it's something that I think that more people need to be aware of. So we have national parks, right? National parks are great. Everyone knows about national parks. Uh, I recently did a podcast on fishing national parks, which got me thinking, I do more of my fly fishing in national forests than I do in national parks by far. So on Monday, I wrote about fishing national forests. And when it comes down to it, 
all national forests are are publicly owned lands that are managed for mixed use. So there may be logging, there may not be. There may be mining, there may not be. Um, but there's usually a lot of uh, visitor resources there, uh, but they're certainly not as robust or as refined as you'll find in national parks. But you probably have a national forest near you. If you don't have a national park, you probably have a national forest near you. Wenz's article was kind of an offshoot on that because you can go a step further. And uh, this article is called, This Land is Your Land, So Fish It. And here I talk about all of the different public lands that you can access. These are public lands that are federally managed, not even talking about state lands, but public lands that you can access through the federal park pass called the America the Beautiful Pass. $80 It's the same one that you get for free if you're in the military, for free if you have a fourth grader, for free if you're disabled, and then at a really reduced rate if you are of a certain age. Uh, but it is the Bureau of Land Reclamation, the Army Corps of Engineers, it is the Department of Forestry. Um, there's a couple other land designations that are on there uh, that are worth checking out because these are your resources. And having that pass waives the day use fee. So of course you could say, ah, they're my resources, but I got to pay for it. And that's a whole other conversation. And it's worth talking about. But uh, you can't change that today. But what you can do is go to that article and check out all of the different resources uh, and all the different lands that are available to you. And once you do that, then see what's close to you and see if there's fishing on it. Almost every one of the websites for every one of those agencies of the federal government has some sort of uh, interactive map where you can check on uh, you know, what kind of things are there and what kind of access there is all that sort of stuff. So definitely check it out. It's worth your time. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Vitavu's Rod Holster. Vitavu's Rod Holster. I've recommended this before. I talked about it at the very top of the podcast. This is the way to carry more than one rod if you are fishing on any sort of body of water where you are waiting and where there's not a ton of overhead coverage. So really this works great for everything except for the tightest blue line streams. I fish on large rivers and I fish the flats and I fish the beaches with this thing. And it is a small uh, kind of badge shaped piece of uh, material with a loop on the bottom and a, a buckle strap uh, that runs across it. So you drop the butt of your rod, whether you have a fighting butt or like a traditional trout rod butt, and you drop that through that loop and it, then that loop catches that reel so it's not going to slide down anymore. And then you use the uh, clip to clip it tight. And now your rod is cocked off at like a 45 degree angle or even a tighter than that straight up behind your left shoulder if you're right handed. So you make all of your casts. And as long as you're not making really, really bad casts, your line is not going to get tangled up in that second rod. It's completely rigged up. It's ready to go. And all you got to do is unsnap it, switch them out or drop. I mean, if, if I'm seeing fish blitz on the beach, I'm throwing the rod I've been fishing with just behind me somewhere. And I'm grabbing that second rod and I'm casting and I figure out the details later. But the rod holster from Vitavu, great little product, especially because it comes in at under $30 and allows you to do a whole lot. Um, and I will put a link to the rod holster on the show notes of this podcast page over at castingacross.com. Definitely check it out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.